this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we're continuing to introduce listeners to some of the content from our new series, The Next Tsunami and Diabetes, Getting Ahead of the Rising Tide, which is targeted at frontline treaters of patients living with type 2 diabetes, obesity, or other metabolic diseases. Unlike The Next Tsunami, which is published through Buzzsprout and distributed through Apple, Spotify, Google, and an array of distributors, Rising Tide is a subscription-only podcast, which means you need to provide identifying information about yourself to access the podcast. The challenge is that Nash Tsunami listeners keep asking me, so how do I get to hear Rising Tide to decide whether I would like to subscribe or not? Some ask because they're physician specialists looking for ways to educate treaters in their communities or institutions. Some listen because they're frontline treaters who stumbled on Rising Tide and like the idea of it. And a third group consists of commercial executives and drug device or diagnostic companies or clinical trial or site management organizations, all of whom view this podcast as a possible place to advertise or sponsor episodes. If you're one of those people, this conversation is for you. This weekend, we are sharing a conversation length cut from each of our previous Rising Tide episodes that you can access without getting into the series. Three of these will be from last year, and one will be from this year's first episode. Our final Vols episode will come from our initial introduction to Jeff Lazarus and the idea of global clinical care pathways in global public health. This conversation comes from our first episode of 2023, which posted two weeks ago. Our good friend, hepatologist Mazen Nurendeen, joins co-host Dr. Kenneth Cousy and me to discuss why in fatty liver disease, 2022 was the best year yet, and hopefully 2023 will become the best year ever. This conversation comes from that episode and focuses on advances in drug development during the year 2022, culminating in an apparently successful phase three trial for esmeterone and a reanalysis of the opiacolic acid data that might put it on the path to approval as well. Parenthetically, I say apparently successful without resmeterone, solely because of what we all experienced with opiacolic acid in 2020, when a trial that appeared to hit efficacy and safety targets still received a complete response letter from FDA. The rest of the episode goes on to talk about advances in diagnostics and guidelines and understanding of patient targets. If you like this conversation, listen after the content portion ends. I will discuss how you can subscribe free of charge to the Rising Tide series. The conversation itself covers some territory we've never discussed on Nash Tsunami and places other content in a different context. So just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, enroll in the Rising Tide series and join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. What do you consider the most important event from where you sit and what you do that took place anywhere in fatty liver disease in the year 2022 and what you think will be the most important event in the year 2023? Mazen, since you're the guest, why don't you kick us off? Mazen Nuruddin. Well, it's definitely the positive phase three study of resmitarone. As everyone knows, or if you don't know, this is TH-beta receptor in the liver that had many positive results in the past, including their phase two and their phase three. And they showed effect on histology and NASH targeting both NASH resolution as well as fibrosis improvement. So that was quite exciting news, especially with the safe profile and benefit on the lipid panel in these patients. I think what we have from 2022, there are two drugs. There's another drug, obitacolic acid, that built on their previous results and they showed positive results in more patients achieving only fibrosis improvement. So I'm excited that 2023 will hopefully unlikely see the FDA approval of these drugs and uh, I guess race toward cure or race toward complete help for the patients now when they were in the 20-30% with tough primary endpoints implemented, which is histology. Okay, so Ken, we gave Moz and the low-hanging fruit. Why don't you go next and pick something from 2022 and 2023 that you'd like to comment on? Ken Kusi. Well, we have a broad audience of primary care and endocrinologists and other specialties and patients. From that perspective, without disagreeing on the importance of, of new drugs, is that in a time where 
consensus is difficult at all levels. We have aligned basically all societies with a very simple algorithm of how to diagnose and bring people to hepatologists early on. And it's a little bit more than 12 months. In 2021, the AGA published the spearhead of the FIB4 and secondary test, ESO, and also a biomarker update. And last year, we had ACE, which is the American Association of Clinical Endocrinology, together with ASLE. Then ASLE in November came up with an update that, of course, aligned well. And the ADA in the January issue of the uh, standards of care has included an extensive now description of the need to diagnose and treat NASH and also an update in the pharmacological management. So I think it's the best year yet, but this is now going to be improved by future studies trying to draw better precision medicine on those with the highest risk. So I think everything is coming together to really have a major impact in the field. So just to add to Martin's initial praise of Ken, it's worth noting that Ken is a lead author or the lead author on most of the different guidelines that are created because he is so widely respected as an expert that folks from just about every medical specialty want him on board when they talk about this subject. Sorry, Ken, if I embarrassed you, that's good. You have, but you know, again, for the audience to put this into context, Roger and Mazin are good friends. So, you know, that's what friends do. They over overstate things. So I'm going to do a third. Another leading hepatologist talks about what he describes as the straitjacket of biopsy. Another of our good friends describes that straitjacket as taking two forms, A, because it's crazy to think it's a good thing to do, and B, because it so limits other potential. But 2022 is, I think, the year that we've started to see significant movement beyond the straitjacket of biopsy. There are a variety of consortia that you'll hear about this year on this podcast, Nimble in the U.S., Litmus in Europe, and then Goldmine, which is privately sponsored out of California and Nail NIT, of which Mazin is one of the two principal leads, that have been doing and begun to publish work, taking a look at non-invasive tests and how much we can prove and how much we can learn from them. I believe that we're getting to a point where we can see a way to diagnose far better and manage patients far better in the absence of biopsy and in the presence of biopsy. And while we may need still biopsy to get drugs approved for clinical trials for the next couple of years, you can certainly start to see what a post-biopsy world will look like. And I think that picture has become much clearer in 22. And we'll continue in 22. What we'd like to do with this podcast is on that round, we talked about really three different areas. Mazen talked about drugs. Ken talked about guidelines and pathways. I talked about diagnostic tests. So let's take a look in a little more detail at each of those three areas and talk about why we might call this the year of NASH and why 22 was best yet and 23 might be best ever. In terms of drugs, Mazen mentioned what I think is probably the most obvious area of excitement, which is that we now have two different pharmacologic agents that have proven to separate from placebo on measures of efficacy with apparently acceptable safety profiles. And the resmeterone safety profile is pretty clean. And while while butyrcholic acid failed to be approved in 2020 because there were questions about its safety profile. We now have patients that have been on the drug for four years, and it turns out that the concerns raised in 2020, I think, have been pretty well been dealt with. So that's number one. Number two, in 2022, a couple of other drugs came out with some early stage clinical trials, was mostly phase 2A and 2B results, that were really breathtaking in terms of how powerful they were. So let's just take a couple of minutes and talk about that. Maz and Orkin, uh, dive in. We talked about resmeterone as well as uh, the beta-cholic acid, but as you know, that there are multiple drugs 
drugs in the pipeline that they are also in phase three. So semaglutide, which is, as you know, a drug approved for type two diabetes, as well as obesity, it depends on the dose and depends on the name Ozempic and Ogovi. Sema has, as you know, had good results in NASH that was published in the New England Journal in 2021. I'm like now, once you're on 2023 in the first week or so, you're still writing 2022 and then you miss up the years. But yes, 2021, that was the SEMA trial in the New England Journal. And we're quite excited about GLP-1. It's their mechanism because a lot of people, as you know, want to lose weight and it's losing weight is healthy and prolong your survival, especially from cardiovascular benefits or SEMA has. Another drug also is in the pipeline called lenifibrinor, and I'm sure this is close to Ken's heart because he proposed the PPARs as a mechanism of action for, for this disease. And this drug is banned, PP, uh, PPAR, and had very good results also published in the same year in the New England Journal. So the excitement does not diminish if you look at the pipeline as well. I think it will be even more exciting with their reported results. There are many other drugs that can speak of. I don't want to throw everything right now. There are tons of clinical trials, but there are as few companies to, you know, they're doing great things. Akero, Altamune, Turns, and others. And I'm sorry if I missed many, many, many good companies. So I think the next two years will be quite evolution. I do agree with Mike Charlton terminology, best year yet. So I think it's going to escalate and go up and we'll see multiple good things happening the next couple of years. Mazen, first of all, thanks. That was great. But second and beyond that, I do want to mention two of the other trials that are in phase two for specific reasons. The ACARO trial with a drug called Fruxifermin, it's an FGF21, which is a different mode of action than the ones that we've describing and that have got phase three. But what Fruxifermin showed was the ability in relatively short order, 12 weeks, 24 weeks, 12 weeks, even to regress fibrosis in the liver in patients who had not yet progressed to cirrhosis. So that's really exciting because it says that we can actually turn the disease back quickly if this pans out in phase three trial. This other one that Mazen mentioned I want to talk about briefly is Altimune, which was able to demonstrate in the span of what was it, Mazen, 24 weeks, 26 weeks, that they could reduce liver fat by over 70% in or 90% even in, in significant percentages of patients. So these are drugs that may obviate or limit the need for a bariatric, in that case, that class of drugs, which are kind of dual and triple glucagon agents, building on the platform GLP-1s might really minimize the need for bariatric surgery among, because they also have significant weight loss, among people who can actually comply with pharmacotherapy while managing a diet in the absence of surgery. So the reason that 23 may turn out to have been the best year yet by the time we're in 24, and 24 may only be the best year yet when we get to 25, is that we have all this stuff to look forward to, all these modes of action, all these exciting drugs. I know we're going to talk about all these new drugs in the future, so I don't want to, you know, jump ahead of all the things we have in mind and we brainstorm with Roger. But I think what we've learned, if I just think five years ago, it was all just fibrosis and the idea that a monotherapy would be the drug that the way that we will cure NASH. I think that we've matured in a point of giving importance to turning off steatopatitis and decreasing disease progression. B, that there's not going to be a drug that's going to be reversing fibrosis in the majority of people. Most of the differences with all the drugs mentioned is in the range of difference with placebo between 10 to 20%. 
So this is going to be a combination therapy with added therapies, with therapies that can also impact weight or other cardiometabolic variables. So it's important that we put the expectations into this context, but it's very exciting. I mean, taking what Mazin and you said about there are a number of dual GLP-1, GIP, and, and glucagon agonists. If you go to a diabetes meeting, there are 15 new drugs of this kind and development. As Mazin said, semaglutide had great results. I mean, uh, the fact that fibrosis was not significant over 72 weeks shouldn't make us forget that progression was greatly decreased. We are excited about other compounds. So there's a, this year we have to mention tercepatide was approved for diabetes. It's going to be approved next, probably the end of this year for obesity with weight losses that are significant and they have a NASH trial ongoing. And all these other mechanisms that you mentioned, Roger, are also important. I mean, again, I just would like to be cautious about changes in fat as a great marker for fibrosis outcomes, but the field is very, very promising in terms of new drugs. Now, since we have also primary care doctors and endocrinologists, I would just remind our my peers is that tomorrow in clinic, you have drugs for weight loss like semaglutide or tirsepatide that likely will have an impact on NASH and why not pioglitazone that have done a lot of work costs $5 a month and you start with the lower dose of 15 milligrams with minimum weight gain and combined with SGLT2 inhibitors or GLP-1s you have net weight loss. So there are things you can do tomorrow uh, in your clinic and I just want to give a practical twist to this because if not sometimes we get too down to looking at the future without looking at today. And again, we're going to talk also with Roger in another chapter about lifestyle. But again, lifestyle is also going to improve not only your liver disease, but reduce cardiometabolic disease. And talking about great news from this year, the American Heart Association for the first time linked fatty liver with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease in a very nice position statement published in June in, uh, in atherosclerosis, thrombosis, and the vascular disease. So a lot of the fields are converging, Roger. And I have to say that this is quite unusual that one field really converges as we've done in the last 12, 24 months with, between hepatologists, endocrinologists, cardiology, obesity management. So that is probably one of the biggest news of the recent times. Point well taken. So, Ken, there's one thing you made reference to that I just want to go back to quickly, which is you talked about semaglutide's ability to stop progression. In pursuit of getting drugs approved, we have focused largely on can you actually regress fibrosis? But the reality is, for many patients, most patients, if we could uh, reduce steatosis and simply halt the progression of fibrosis, we would have a meaningfully positive effect on their lives as compared to what happens if fibrosis progresses. So uh, that shouldn't be the end point for everybody. But that's something we can accomplish today with drugs that are already approved. And for this audience, where one of the things we'll talk about in this episode and future episodes is screening, but there'll be a lot of patients who will have fatty livers and maybe very early stage fibrosis, but not advanced fibrosis, where the ability to stop progression and and reduce the atosis in and of itself is probably the target. So we can do a lot right now. And I have to say that we're not picking on specific drugs. I would say if you, the Rismatrum trial was very valuable, but the 
range of change in fibrosis was no different than that for semaglutide or obitacolic acid in terms of the delta. It's just that they had a lot of people. Different mechanisms are going to have additive effects. And I think the field is going to move in the future to combine these drugs to help those people who are with the most advanced stages of disease. Remember, lanifibrinor, semaglutide, obitacolic acid, and even resmeritrom all had a modest but significant effect on fibrosis. So we are really in a very exciting time after some disappointments with new drugs. This is really very, very important also for the patients who are listening to us because we do think that this is going to be a very manageable disease in the near future. I think that's a great note on which to close on drugs for today. We'll come back to that in later episodes. And now back to Roger. I hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you want to subscribe to Rising Tide, simply go to the surfingnash.com homepage, click the Rising Tide link on the top banner. You'll go to a page that offers two ways to subscribe. And whether you choose the one episode or full experience option, you will become a subscriber. And if you want to learn more about sponsorship, just contact me directly at roger.green at surfingnash.com. We'll be back to our traditional Nash tsunami format next week to discuss pediatric and adolescent NAFLD and Nash with three guests, our friend Naeem Alkori and two first-timers, Drs. Rohit Kohli and Miriam. Boss. Until then, stay safe, surf on, we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.